0: Coming up on This Week in Games, Google poaches top talent from Sony to lead new LA studio. Australia eyes loot box regulation and GeForce now loses another top publisher. Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell. We are continuing our COVID-19 game industry with other events like South by Southwest canceled. E3 is still poised to happen, but the creative director, I am 18-bit, pulled out. So we'll have to keep an eye out for, you know, a possible E3 cancellation, what that means for the industry. But on to news that broke this week. Google poaches top talent from Sony and officially names LA as the second Stadia first-party studio. So, Play of Vista will be the new headquarters for Google's second first-party Stadia studio after Montreal. Jade Raymond, who is the VP of Stadia Games and Entertainment, managed to snag a big one poaching Sony VP of product development and Sony Santa Monica studio head Shannon Studstill. So, Studstill oversaw the development of critically acclaimed God of War 2018. Google has already kind of a big swanky office in Playa Vista, so I assume that the Stadia, de- Stadia development team will take a large chunk of that for themselves rather than building, you know, a brand new office just for the Stadia first-party team. Jade Raymond spoke highly of Studstill in her blog post, saying, quote, she has an extensive background in product development and creative leadership, but most importantly, she's a visionary who, as the studio director, will lead and inspire the Playa Vista teams, end quote. I'm excited to see what the new studios, uh, to see new studios headed by proven leaders like Shannon Sudd still help. If I didn't have a such awful reputation at Google, I'd probably uh, apply to join the studio myself. However, looking at the past, Amazon has struggled publicly to deliver a single game from its hundreds of Amazon Games employees and millions of dollars poured, poured into the Amazon Games division. Google is currently disappointing everyone with Stadia <laughs> as its first offering. So for me, a sign that Stadia's Montreal apply, Vista Studios are on the right track to ship games would be an announcement within the next year of the games they're developing. Without that, I worry that it's just going to be a black box of kind of like game development shenanigans and nonsense with, um, and kind of like basically become the black box that Amazon Game Studios has been for eight years. And by black box, I mean you know, Amazon Game Studios is paying people much higher than this industry average to never ship a game. And so without like holding yourself to publicly saying, we're making this great AAA game, it's going to ship on this, it's going to be this amazing. um, You're kind of just sitting around collecting, you know, Alphabet or Amazon stock and laughing on your way to the bank. So, we'll have to see which way these Stadia first party teams go. I mean, Regardless of Stadia being in the state it's in right now, I actually think Jade Raymond could possibly put together studios that ship top-quality games that could live on and do something outside of, you know, being exclusive to Stadia. So, we'll have to see. More news. After Shannon Studstill's departure, Yumi Yang is named as her replacement at new head of Sony Santa Monica Studio. Yang was the director of product development at Stody, likely Studstill's right-hand woman, and direct report, so... That all makes sense all right more news another government joins the loot box regulatory parade as australian parliament pal- parliament parliamentary gosh oof, that's rough we don't have a parliament in america so i never have to say this word australian parliamentary committee recommends loot box age regulations so the office of e-safety commissioner in australia has recommended that loot boxes be restricted to those age 18 and older and that mandatory age verification checks be implemented. The report also states warning labels should be put on games with microtransaction purchases even if those purchases are something as harmless as straight cosmetics for hard currency, okay? This is very similar to UK parliamentary recommendations last year. Yeah, the writing's on the wall. You know, our industry needs to face up and own the addiction of microtransactions leading to a small subset of players spending you know, well beyond what they should for these games, whether they have the means or not to spend. People shouldn't be spending hundreds of dollars on, you know, like those horrible like Game of War, war strategy games that are literally just set up to psychologically prey on insecure people to outspend each other to say that they dominate the other person through their wallet, really. Um, randomizing rewards from direct monetary or premium currency purchases should be regulate it in one way or another but it's hard it's it's honestly hard to say like some games offer amazing and fair IAPs and we all love them and every gamer who plays it says ah this is like super amazing and fair and the game's free so I got to try it before I spend any money this is perfect while other games you know Literally customize their drop rates on a per player basis to maximize the chance of addicting someone to gambling like that's that's the two options and it's a spectrum and it's hard to honestly put a regulation that separates out what is good versus what is bad, you know, we've seen a lot of attempts by a lot of countries specifically in Europe try it. I don't know someone's going to break the dam someone's going to actually implement it or regulate it as gambling one of the two and uh i think you're going to see a lot of people follow suit kind of like how california sets legislation for the rest of the nation because companies aren't going to cater products specifically to california and then have separate products for the rest of america um we'll see that with like a uk probably maybe australia probably not but if like the uk puts their foot down and sets a president you might you might see the dominoes fall I don't have an answer, but someone in the video game industry needs to find an answer and lead us out of this shithole. Either that or we could get ridiculous legislation where really half the players can't purchase or access certain parts of the game. It wouldn't make sense to have like games where, you know, oh, if you're under 18, you can't go here. But it could be in our future. All right, more news. The slow demise of GeForce now continues. This is a rough one. Earlier this week, 2K Games followed Activision, Blizzard, and Bethesda by pulling their games from NVIDIA's NVIDIA service. Uh, GeForce Now is NVIDIA's cloud gaming service that uses your library of games on digital stores like Steam to then stream them to you know a number of devices. Hinterland Studio also pulled their 2014 title, The Long Dark, from the service, stating GeForce Now didn't even ask for permission to put their title on the service. That's... That's honestly embarrassing. This is pretty bad publicity for NVIDIA's fledgling cloud gaming platform. If anything, it shows the game industry is slightly wiser than the film and television industry was during the early days of streaming. Game companies knowing that their products being on a service in general have severe disadvantages to the company, and exclusivity access for games to be on cloud gaming networks is worth a lot. So, again, If you put up, you know, a Bethesda game on GeForce Now, now um, NVIDIA can harvest all the data from your Bethesda game. And it might set a precedence, because maybe NVIDIA has a crappy service and your game doesn't do well on there. But then when you try to sell exclusivity of your game to another platform, they'll say, "Eh, well, we heard from NVIDIA that your shit sucks. Uh, We're not going to pay you that much. It doesn't really make sense uh, for GeForce I guess to be strong on, even these use publisher interested in developers. I don't even know why they have this stuff on their platform. It, from my perception, it doesn't even seem like they have permission. It's pretty rough, pretty rough. All right, more bad news. Improbable has a bad year with losses up over 65% year over year. At 83 million dollar losses, so Improbable was probably known best for the highly powerful cloud development platform Spatial OS, which basically can offload game computations to the cloud servers, making games that aren't possible on current consumer PCs and consoles possible. 2019 was rough for Improbable. You know, two of their biggest games that utilized Spatial OS that were coming out: Worlds Adrift, which was an MMO, and Mavericks Proving Grounds, which I believe was like a battle royale game. Halted to production and canceled production. Improbable started making acquisitions with Midwinter Entertainment, which were likely expensive and likely to make games and also show off their technology. I don't know. I don't have much to say. Maybe I've kind of like in the past like shitted on Improbable strategies too much. But truth be told, we need more Improbables in the game industry. You know, Improbable is trying to bring new technology that can counter the power of cloud gaming like Project X Cloud and Stadia. And they're pushing for, like, they're pushing what games developers can offer users. They're pushing the boundaries in that. And we always need more, you know. And probably really just needs one game. They need one great game that is only possible through Spatial S. So, like, an MMO that's rendering thousands of players on screen at once, an RTS with millions of AI independently acting and making decisions on their own, or, like, a physics engine that mimics real-world... You know physics for destruction and other things. Probably just needs that one game. That game needs to make players like really crave that type of technology, and then you're set for life. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a rough road ahead for them. Next up, The Last of Us is getting an HBO adaptation. So I don't normally don't cover uh, game game to film or television stuff, but. I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about the numbers The Witcher was pulling in. The Witcher did mighty well for Netflix. Um, And so now we're likely to to see a string of those, like, video game-to-film or video game-to-TV adaptations that were previously in limbo start getting greenlit. And first off, the list is The Last of Us. You know, my one problem is, outside of the opening and ending of The Last of Us, you know, it's super standard procedural zombie apocalypse movie. What I really want to see is I want to see companies take more chances. Like, where's Death Stranding's miniseries? Where's the Dark Souls movie? Where's HBO greenlighting Disco Elysium? Like, The Last of Us, it's a safe bet. has a large audience. The script writes itself, right? Um, I want to see some crazier shit. I want to see some more chances. Uh, You know, if The Last of Us does well enough, again, for HBO, we might... We might see what happened to comic books like 20, 15 years ago. happen to video games. It could happen. All right, let's go to business news. First off, Platinum Games pulls the ever-suspicious AAA Kickstarter ending with $2.2 million raise. So Platinum Games put up a Kickstarter with a $50,000 goal to bring the wonderful 101 remastered to the Switch. Platinum Games are the makers, probably best known for Bayonetta and Your Automata, but also the wonderful 101 and Beautiful Joe. Platinum gay says the Kickstarter was to gauge interest, something that, like, you've seen the developers of Shinmu 3 utilize despite Deep Silver already publishing the game. I can see the point, you know. A Kickstarter means fans get the game at a deep discount, and the company has bi- benchmarks to gauge um, how well the product will sell, the public interest, and like whether they should put more money into production. However, it does go against public perception of Kickstarter being used for projects that would otherwise not exist without its service. And I, I'd still say, like, if you're a AAA company, don't use Kickstarter for marketing research. It, it just looks weird. I don't know. I don't have anything better. Alright, time for some <laughs> that was a tongue ber- Time for some acquisitions and fundraising news. Everyone's favorite section. I didn't want to call out it was very weird how like in standard business it's called acquisition and mergers. Uh because we don't really don't see mergers that often in the game industry. The, the only one that even comes to mind is Activision and Vivendi Games, which led us to the wonderful Activision Blizzard, the biggest name for a publisher there could be. All right, first off, the ever popular esports fundraising hits as the Esports Player League raises $1 million in a seed round. So, 500 startups led the investment into the Singaporean based league that will focus on Southeast Asia and Latin America. And not much else to say. I don't really like esports stuff, it's just getting funded everywhere. It is what it is. Next up, this one's interesting. Um, Tilting Point acquires the publisher's biggest title, Star Trek Timelines, from its developer, Disruptor Beam. So Tilting Point is a smaller but more aggressive mobile publisher, I would say. Has a paid has paid an undisclosed amount for Star Trek Timelines, which is touted to have generated over $100 million in lifetime revenue. That's pretty damn impressive. Um, Tilting Point will open a new Boston-based studio to oversee the live operations and further development of the game. The publisher has been pretty aggressive publicly publishing the amounts of UA dollars they've spent on games. Their last two games... They've spent to the tune of $30 million and $20 million, respectively, in user acquisition. Honestly, when I see this type of money, when I see this type of like public announcements, when I see them acquiring titles and then like building studios to manage the title, I'm surprised they're not acquiring more developers to just build them titles. Like If you have that kind of money, um, just buy a bunch of development studios and... You know, start the shotgun <laughs> method to see which one sticks. Like, if you're pretty efficient at knocking out some of these games, and some of the games that Tilting Point are funded are, you know, a little derivative of popular titles. Um, yeah, I'd like to see them open up more developer studios to make new games, maybe acquire smaller developers to kind of help them out financially to take more risk. Who knows? All right, next up, Flavorworks, developer behind the indie PS4 title Erica, raises over 4.5 million dollars in a Series A. This is interesting. Um, so Erica is a super indie title that I didn't know about until I read this article. But Flavorworks has a patent-pinning technology that utilizes real-life videos and lets players interact with real-life videos. I guess that's why you get 4.4 million for a Series A for an indie developer. You know, hopefully. You set a precedence on the technology, other people want to license it, something like that. The Series A was funded by a new investor, GC Tracker Fund, who is joined by existing backers, Hero Capital, and Sky Venues. All right, next up, Zordix acquires Invictus Games. So, for an undisclosed amount, two racing companies <laughs> come together. So, Swedish publisher-developer Zordix, known for console racing titles such as Aqua Motor Racing Utopia and Overpass, Acquires Invictus Games, who is also known for racing titles such as Project Torque. Again, the, the European racing titles and how there's a trillion niche markets for European racing is something I, as an American, cannot comprehend. So <laughs> this the story kind of goes a little above my head. Uh, next up, Phoenix Game Class Cursing's Holdings Company acquires Work for Hire Studio, Studio Firefly. Studio Firefly specializes in mobile games live operation services. It's kind of a weird acquisition. It's uh, Phoenix Games' third public acquisition after two development studios. I say it's weird because it's like, this is something you make after you have like 10 game studios. So unless uh, Studio Firefly is like super cash flow positive or something, um, maybe Phoenix's other two titles really were struggling in the Department of Live Operations Services. Who knows? To me, a little weird. Uh, They claim to have a fourth acquisition coming down the pipeline right now. And finally... Playrix, developer behind the mobile mega-hits Gardenscape, Homescapes, Fishdom, and Township, acquires Plexonic. So for an undisclosed amount, Dublin-based Playrix has acquired Armenian mobile developer Plexonic. Plexonic is known for Panda Jam and Pet Savers, but it has claimed to have uh, worked on over 60 casual games over its time. It's a mighty big number. Playrix has plans for Plexonic to help extend Playrix into new territories. So there you go. That's it for This Week in Games. I'm Eric McConnell. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a comment and let me know how I'm doing. You can email me at eric at eric at If you have any comments or suggestions on future stories. So, all right. That's it, everyone. I'm Eric. And join us next week for This Week in games take care